Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Be with you this evening. It's a standalone sermon, which means we're not constrained by the next book in a the next book in a verse. The next verse in a book, I got to pick out of all of scripture, 66 books, a passage that I thought would most apply to us this evening. The passage that I've chosen comes from the book of James. James is in the New Testament. Just before you get to Revelation, a bit back. The book of James and chapter 4. James chapter 4 and uh, the last few verses of chapter 4. Okay, I found it. James chapter 4, and this evening we're going to be looking at verse 13 through to verse 17. Even before I come to the reading and the teaching of Scripture, let me remind you that this is a spiritual activity, and so it would be good for us to bend our knees and bow our heads and pray to Almighty God. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is faithful and it is true, sufficient for all matters of life and for godliness. We thank you, Lord God, because it informs our doctrine, but not only that, through it and by your Holy Spirit, it transforms our lives and we want to be transformed. We really do, Lord God. Look at the world around us and it is a fallen, broken mess. But we look at your word and we see something better. We see your son, Jesus Christ. He is beautiful to look at. And we see your will and your way for us. You've captured us. You've captured our hearts. And so now this evening, Lord God, would you indeed renew our minds and stir our hearts' affections and transform our lives from one degree of glory to the next that we would be conformed toward the image of Jesus Christ. Would you make it so for your own glory's sake? Amen. Well, let's read the book of James, beginning at the 13th verse of chapter 4. Hear God's word. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Just so far in the reading of God's word. 
picture in your mind's eye for but a moment a little boy on the beach scooping and packing sand with a plastic shovel and a bright red bucket to the delight of our little architect a castle tower is created a little moat with walls bottle tops as centuries ice cream sticks as bridges a castle in the sand is built now picture a man in an office shuffling papers and delegating assignments to his delight as numbers are juggled and contracts are signed a profit is made an empire in a city is built two builders two castles both start with nothing and make something both are diligent and determined and for both the tide will turn the end will come waves will come and crash into that little sand castle and reclaim it into the sand from which it came just as the waves of life and the tide of death will come to reclaim the life built by the man that he had hoped would last this evening we're going to talk about the sand castles that we build and the castle we must run to so take a look at verse 13 to start with me verse 13 let me tell you at a high level what we're going to see in verse 13 we think we are masters of our universe it reads come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and trade and make a profit i want you to see four things in this verse i want you to see a location i want you to see a time i want you to see an activity and i want you to see an outcome first the location we will go into such and such a city or town i want you not to just see the location but i want you to see the time and spend a year there not just the location and the time but the activity and trade not just the location the time the activity but the outcome and make a profit sometimes the bible feels a little distant to us it was written 2000 plus plus years ago sometimes the examples maybe don't hit us in our lived experience but this one does location time activity outcome this is very similar to you student yet tonight your location might be tux your time might be four years for some of you 
a little longer. Your activity is your degree. And your outcome is a good job for the mothers that are here this evening. Your location is stay at home. Your time is 18 years plus, plus. <laughs> your activity is momming. Your outcome is they will love me. Pensioners here this evening. The location is a village. The time is the rest of your life. The activity is nothing. <laughs> the outcome is happiness. We think that we are masters of our universe. You think you've thought things through. Here's the second point. You don't even know what you don't know. Look at the very beginning of verse 14. <laughs> Guess where I took the idea from. Yet you do not know. <laughs> you don't know. The businessman, the student, the mother, the pensioner, you just don't know. To the businessman, markets fail. Markets turn. Contracts run dry. Tenders cease. To the student, Grades fail. To the mom, families are very, very messy. And to the pensioner, life doesn't always turn out like you think. You think you've thought things through? You don't even know what you don't know. Do you think you are in control? You don't even know what tomorrow will throw at you. Look at the next little portion of verse 14. What tomorrow will bring. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I read a poem. It's actually one of my favorite poems. It's written in the type of English that is hard to read. And so I, I did a bit of translation uh, of the English so that we could understand it. Uh, but I have no doubt you will catch one of the phrases because it has become very popular in our culture. It's written by Robert Burns to a mouse. And I'm just reading the last stanza, the last part. But mouse, you are not alone. Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men often go askew and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. Still, you are blessed compared with me. The present only touches you, but oh, I backward cast my eye on prospect dreary and forward, though I cannot see, I guess and fear, writes Robert Burns. What does he mean? Well, this little mouse that he's observing in the field only knows the present. We humans are not so fortunate. We have an understanding of both the past and we have an understanding of the future. And because we do not know what tomorrow will bring, we understand something of guess and fear. 
You think you're in control? You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Do you think you have time? Student, you are hardly a flicker on the timeline of eternity. The end of verse 14, it began, yet you do not know, and it continued what tomorrow will bring. But now what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. Friends, I've got to tell you something about the relative speed of life. I remember being Thomas's age, lazy days that went on forever. I remember the crazy 20s and 30s. Now the passage of my life is marked by the growth of my children, which is happening far too fast. And one day, my grandchildren, a midlife crisis I recognize how finite my life is. Let me tell you that yours is no different. You think you have time, but you're hardly a flicker on the timeline of eternity. And you think in your 20s and 30s that you can dodge bullets, (laughs) but your end is certain. The very end of verse uh, 14, and then vanishes. And then vanishes. I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus told. It was the story of a wealthy man that was going through a wealthy time of life. And he said to himself, I will have nowhere to store my crops. And so he engages in activity. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods What was his outcome? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be married. But it was short-lived because he was grave-bound. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the teaching for tonight. Now we come to the application. Let me summarize where we are so far. We think that we are masters of our universe. You think you've thought things through? You don't even know what you do not know. You think you're in control. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You think you have time. You are hardly a flicker on the timeline of eternity. You think you can dodge bullets. Your end is certain. How do you go about applying this passage? Well, verse 15 gives you a start. Trust God. Verse 15 says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Trust God, if the Lord wills. What kind of will is this talking about? There's different types of wills that theologians speak about in Scripture. 
They talk about the commanded will, maybe the prescriptive will, the, the, the duties, the, the revealed will of God. We read about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will, the commanded will, the, the revealed will of God abides forever. This will we are called upon to obey. This will we are called upon uh, to adhere to. This will is the commandments of God. This will is the precepts of God. This will is the ordinances of God. Second type of will that we read about in Scripture is the heart will of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing, number one, that any should perish, and number two, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's heart. And we know from Scripture that some do repent and are saved, do not perish, and some don't. And certainly perish in the end. But the will that James is speaking about here when he says instead you ought to say if the Lord wills is the sovereign will of God. The decretive will of God. The effectual will of God. The causal will of God. The secret will of God. The hidden will of God. It is a natural consequence of God's omniscience, that he, that he knows all things, of God's omnipotence, that he is all-powerful, of his omnipresence, that God is everywhere. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. This is the will that James says we ought to live in. If the Lord wills, if it is his sovereign will, it will happen. In response to this application of trusting God because we can't trust ourselves, friends, we're to be content. There is much mystery and irreconcilability within the person and work of God that we just will never understand. You won't know everything about God, and that is okay. Be assured, there is much revealed about God, his person and his work in scripture and in creation that we can rest safely upon and so rest on the revealed revelation of God. Acknowledge God in all that you do. Set the tone of your day and the close of your day in submissive prayer. Sleep. If you trust God, sleep. God's in control. He's got this. So you ought not to worry. You ought not to fret. You ought not to be anxious. Be at ease. Sleep. Rest in him. Those who believe in a God who is all sovereign, rest easy. They're the kinds of people who can sing hymns when they're chained up in prison like Peter and John. 
if you believe and trust in God, pray. Commit your this and that in our text moments to God. He is in control. Ask for wisdom. Be dependent upon him. Secondly, if our application is to trust God, our second application is to do right. It says in verse 16, but as it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And so do right. Be sensitive. Every circumstance of life is a consequence of God's sovereign, divine direction. There is no chance. There is no luck. There is no mistake. Don't respond sinfully to the circumstances which God sends into your life, to the trials that God gives you, to the tests, but rather respond righteously that he might be glorified. And take courage. God's precise concern is the circumstance of life that you are currently going through. Act boldly. Our daily activities are not to be disconnected from his sovereign plan. He is able to do what he intends to do through you, which is likely to be exceedingly more than you could ever expect, wonder, or imagine. And so act boldly to his praise and glory. Don't sweat the small stuff. When things go wrong, it's under control. God is still seated on his throne. Thank God. When things go right, every good blessing flows from his hand. As you look at this verse, I'm hoping that you see Something of the reality that we are not masters of our universe, but there is one who is. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of another parable which Jesus said. Um, He spoke about uh, two men. One man builds his house on sand. And as the rains come and the floodwaters come, his house is completely washed away. Another man builds his house upon a rock. As the rains come, as the floodwaters rise, the house on the rock stands firm. Friend, build your life on a rock which will not move. Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior. In order for you to do that, he came into this world and lived the life that you could not live. On a cross, he died as a substitute, your sin for his righteousness. God has accepted the price that his son paid. And Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. The call on your life is to repent and put your faith and trust on Jesus Christ. Run to the stronghold. Build your life upon the rock and you will live. Picture our little boy, once again, as the tide approaches. As the water comes, he, he jumps to his feet and he begins to clap in excitement. There is no sorrow in him, no fear in him, no regret in him. He knew this would happen. And so he's not surprised. 
when a great wave crashes into his castle and it's sucked into the sea, he smiles and picks up his tools, takes his father's hand and goes home. Picture our businessman. Can you see that he is not so wise? As the waves of years collapse his castle, he is terrified. He hovers over his sandy monument, trying vainly to protect it. Stop building castles in the sand. Run to the castle upon the rock. Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray to Almighty God. Indeed, Father, you are great and above all things. We have spoken of your immense power. We've spoken of your all-encompassing wisdom. We've spoken of your sovereignty tonight. And we have once again affirmed that you are a safe harbor, that you are a firm foundation, that you are the rock upon which we might build our lives into eternity to come. I pray that that would be true for us that even as we go through our lives, we would go through lives as believers who trust God, do right, and ultimately live um, by the power of the Spirit which is in us, given to us by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Would you transform our lives from one degree of glory to the next, that we would reflect him and be readied for heaven's glories to come. These things we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.